Welcome to Cooper Talk, presented by Walk My Mind. Bring your body, bring your mind. This is Walk My Mind, a holistic approach to wellness that connects the dots of physical, mental, and emotional health. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guest. And I'm going to tell you, we have, we, have a, we have a killer guest today. He's uh, not only an actor who is part of an iconic, and I mean iconic, TV show. He's also a director, and he's a singer now, which is very cool. I don't know if he's a singer or a crooner. We're going to find out. My, my guest is Don Most. How you doing, Don? I'm doing great, thank, thanks, Steve. Now, I gotta ask you. Uh, it's just you know I want to talk about your acting, but the music. I went on your website and it's, it's fascinating. You know, you have this show that's got like swing and fifties cool. How did you get into the musical part of this business? And were you always a singer? Like, what did you love music as a kid, or what was your cycle to coming to this singing as a fruition? Yeah, um, great question. Um, I was into it very young. I actually was. Uh, singer before I was an actor. Um, I grew up in New York, in, in Brooklyn, and um, I started pursuing it uh, uh, when I was like 13. I, I was going to a, a school in the city, in Manhattan, uh, for singing and acting and dancing, and, and then I got picked from there to be part of this professional kind of review of uh, kids 14 to 16 years old. It was seven of us. And we performed in nightclubs up in the Catskill Mountains. Uh, I did it one summer. Uh, it was actually the summer of 1968. <laughs> and and uh, and I had a great time, you know, singing in all the clubs and the hotels up there. And that was my first, as I like to say, my first love. And I always loved the great uh, standards, the great American songbook and jazz and swing and big band. And so uh, I... I got my taste of doing it then, and then I, I took a bit of a turn after that summer and, and, and focused on acting for a while, and, and uh, I put the music aside, and, and uh, that's a whole long story, I, probably not worth going into now, but, I, but uh, it then really took a backseat when the acting thing really started happening, and I moved out to L.A. Um, when I was 20 and uh, was supposed to be just for the summer. But then I wound up uh, getting some work pretty quickly and, and get some, I got some momentum. So my agent said, hey, instead of going back to school, I had one, one year left at Lehigh University in Pennsylvania. And um, instead of just staying for the summer, I, I wound up, they said, take six months off. And, you know, you got some mojo going, you know, and see what happens. And, and I did. And then uh, a bunch of more things happened and then led to happy days. So that was it. And. And, and I, I, you know, the music, I knew one day I'd go back to it, but uh, I wasn't sure when. Um, and, you know, I decided about three, four years ago that that style of music, which was not so so popular in the 70s and 80s, but has had a nice resurgence, you know, in the, in the last 15, 20 years. Um, I said, if I'm ever going to do the music thing, I better do it now. So that's when I started really focusing on it again, about, about four years ago now. How do you attack that career? Like, you know, because you're known as an actor, you, you've directed stuff, and, you know, it's one of those things, you know, most people who are creative have different hats, whether it be, you know, a comic and write. We all have different things going on. But how do you sit there and attack that when you sit there and go, okay, this is what I'm going to do, 
do you just sit there in your mind and do you formulate a band? Do you decide, you know, I want to just get my singing chops down? Because I'm sure if you haven't sang for a while, it takes a while to get your chops back. I don't know if you were singing the whole time, but it's something that you're going to be on stage. You're going to be, you know, you're, you have a product out there and your name's connected to it and you're a known person in Hollywood. So you want a good product. How do you start? I mean, how does it start, you know, four years ago, you say, I want to do this. What, what's the building blocks to getting it going to where now I know you play at the tellers, you play to Philly, you play around the, the country. How, what was the process for that? Okay. Another good question. It actually, for me, um, it was, it was the getting the chops back almost happened before it. And that led to the, uh, the idea and vision of doing it because what happened was, I mean, I've kind of been singing, um, off and on all the, through these years. I mean, there were times where I did some musical theater and then there were times where I did some, uh, you know, little bit here and there, like a guest appear, uh, variety type show here and there, a telethons. But, um, but what happened was with the technology today, um, I discovered you know, around five years ago, somebody turned me on to a, a software program that allows you to take a song, let's say, you know, I love all the great uh, singers of the standards like Sinatra and, and Bobby Darin, who's my real favorite, and Nat King Cole and Dino and, and, and all the great singers. And I have, you know, tons of their tracks. Well, you could, with this software, if, if, the, if the vocal was recorded in a certain way, uh, center panned, and you put it through the software, you can remove a good part or almost all the vocal and and you still have this incredible track of arrangements that like Nelson Riddle did and Billy May and all these incredible arrangers that with a big band and I was like you got to be kidding me I can do that so that's what I always dreamed of because I always was I always loved the the sounds of of great big bands with great arrangements and I was very cognizant of who the arrangers were and I was always dreaming of having being able to sing to that so I became like a kid in a candy store where I started trying it with all these different songs I had of Darren's and Sinatra's and, and some of them worked, some of them didn't where I couldn't remove the vocal, but a lot of them did. So then I started going, Oh my God. So then, you know, with the, with the technology, I was able to go into my garage band and put it in there and then start playing around and singing to it. And I was having just the time of my life singing to these incredible songs and, and arrangements and and then I'm listening to you know and I'm going wow this is sounding pretty darn good and I play it for people and they're they're going like oh my god you got to do something with this you sound incredible and you know the response I was getting when I played for friends and stuff and just by doing it I really got my chops you know because I, I recorded hundreds of songs at home doing it so um that's what when I said okay you know it was sort of encouraging me and giving me the incentive and, and inspiration to do it so uh, then you know and fortuitously I, I I wasn't sure you know how I was gonna go about it but then um, I somebody introduced me to a manager who's um, uh, based in Dallas of all places it used to be in LA but uh, you know he, he was from the jazz world and knows all that 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 scene and um, and then he said he listened to some of my tracks and he said, wow, you know, you sound great. And he said, OK, you got to find a musical director. And he said, I could recommend some. But there was a guy that I had worked with on a project once 
and I really liked him based on the East Coast, a guy named Willie Scopitone, and, and he lives in Long Island, and, and, and I thought of Willie. So he said, I'd love to do that, and, and then we started saying, okay, I got to start putting together a set list and you know, going through all the songs that I wanted to do and some arrangements I had from when I was younger and other ones we had to get written up. And so that started the process of putting together the show and then he would put together, he found the musicians, some on the East Coast, and then we found some on the West Coast. And 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 then when I do stuff in the middle, we, you know, anywhere else, we pick up local musicians, but he'll come in with me. And and then um, the manager um, at Cast, Casting New Lives is the name of the company. They they got me my first, you know, gig at, at Vitello's in Los Angeles and Studio City. And the response was so great that, you know, because I said, let me, I'll see how it goes, you know, and people, you know, the response was fantastic. And and then it just started from there where then, then I played in New York at uh, 54 Below and and uh, Iridium Jazz Club there and and theaters and, and all kinds of places all over. And, uh, and, and then it led to me doing a CD, which is out now called uh, D-Most Mostly Swinging on Summit Records. And... Uh, and I had a blast doing that. That was a great, great experience, and I'm pretty proud of the CD. It, it came out really good. Uh, incredible musicians, great arrangements, and uh, and so I'm excited. I'm, and I'm getting ready to do a couple of shows coming up. Now, how did you go that first show? You know, you're sitting there and you love singing in the garage, and you're an actor. You know, you've been on stage. You know, you, you do the you do the gig, but you know the gig, but. How did that first show go when you're sitting there? You know you can nail it because you've been singing. You know you have a manager going, hey, this is good. You have a band behind you. You know it's going to work. But what was it like that first night you were going on stage? And how long was your show, that first show? Did you do an hour? Did you do an hour and a half? I mean, what was it like? Were you nervous? Were you excited? What went yeah. through your mind? <laughs> well, um, you know, I, I thought that, you know, that it would be good because, you know, I'd done, I'd done it when I was young. And doing it that young, it's kind of like in you, almost like a bicycle, I guess, you know, riding a bicycle. And, um, but, and, and I'd done, I'd also done it once at a jazz club way back in the early 80s, uh, a couple of shows with a, with a big band. Um, so, you know, I had it in me, but still it was a long time. And so you have, you, as much as I had belief, I, you still have doubts too, because you just don't know, you know, um, but, you know, doing it at home really gave, helped me a lot because it, it, it was like great rehearsal, you know, I mean, great, great rehearsal for me. And um, so that gave me a certain sense of confidence. So when it was time to do it, uh, yeah, I was, I was definitely nervous, but I was also very excited. It was a good combination, it was a good combination of that. And, um, and I did about, the show was about an hour and 20 minutes, I, I, I think that first show. And, uh. I was, you know, I was excited as hell. And then as soon as, you know, after the first song, because the first song uh, felt great and the audience, you know, just kind of erupted after because, you know, a lot of these people didn't know what to expect. Some friends, you know, a lot of friends who never, they didn't know what to expect. I mean, they knew that I maybe had done some singing. And then other people who, you know, found out about the show and, Nobody knew what to expect, you know, and then they were like afterwards, oh, my God, 
I'm blown away. I can't. How come you didn't haven't been seen all these years? Or what? what why didn't you sing on Happy Days? And you know, and you're, you know, the, they were just flat. They were flabbergasted, and which was seeing that response. Then I knew uh, that I, you know, I'd done what I'd set out to do. Now, when you said you made it, you put a CD together, and I'm, you know, it's so funny. I still call CDs albums. I'm old school, and I, I always love the fact that you know I've talked to a lot of musicians on my show who now it's like the CD not as much thought goes into it because unfortunately through the years we've become a society that buys singles. But for me, when I grew up, you know, it was a whole, I've talked about this before, it was like a whole process of like buying an album or later a CD and making sure the songs are good and the order and all yeah. that. What was it yeah. like for when you put the CD, because you're probably the same type as me with your love of music, you know, if you got a Sinatra, when you listen to Sinatra, you wanted every song to be killer, you know what I mean? And, and not, you yeah. know, what was it like when you put your CD together and what, how did you choose your songs? Yeah. 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 It was a, it was a good process. Um, and, uh, when that, you know, it, it started off where I would just, uh, I probably picked from all the songs that I had been listening to and, and, and trying out, um, you know, I probably had about a hundred songs that were on that first list, you know, and then, and then it was like, okay, well, let me see which ones feel the best, you know, that just feel like they're right in my wheelhouse, right off the top. And so then I got down to maybe, maybe 50, 60 songs. And then I brought in the producer, arranger, uh, Willie Murillo, who my manager knew. And um, I had heard some arrangements he had done and I was blown away and I knew he would be great. So um, we got together and listened to the all, you know, like 50 of the songs and then started talking about it and which ones he, you know, really hit him. And he just felt would be that, that he had ideas for and, and that he got inspired by and he thought I sounded really good on. And so then we probably got it down to about 20 and, uh, you know, and then we just, uh, then we knew we had to get it down a little more than that. So, you know, it was just process of elimination, talking, discussing. Um, and then it just kind of emerged, you know, sort of a, a set list, uh, came from that and not a set list, but, a you know, a list of songs. And, um, so it turned out 12 songs plus well, 12 with big, you know, great, great swinging band, 17 pieces. And on some of them string section, on a few few of the ballads and and then the final there was a bonus song at the end we decided to do in contrast just piano so you have this big band and then the bonus song is me doing just singing with just a piano a great uh, sinatra saloon song one for my baby so um it was it was fun pick going through that and uh and and then as you kind of alluded to i'm the real stickler for the order the sequence of the songs and and put a lot of time in and thought into that and talking to Willie about that too and and I really love the uh, I love the sequence that we came up with it really takes you on a sort of musical journey. Now, are is are you are you a crooner or you're a singer? Is there a difference? Because you 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 love this music. What's the difference between a crooner and a singer? I know Sinatra was a crooner, but he was also a singer. Yeah, you know, I was going to ask you what's the difference. I don't know. I mean, I. You know, I've heard the term crooner, and and a lot of people will say to me, "Oh, you're a real crooner," <laughs> and 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 um, I'm going, I you know, I, mean, I knew that that was you. I've heard that in reference to people like Sinatra and you know, Darren and Dino. So 
I felt, okay, that's great. That, that's a great compliment. But um, I don't know what the difference is between a crooner and a singer. I really don't. That I'm gonna, I, I should have, you know, you'd think by now I would have looked it up and looked at the definition of crooner. Actually, I looked but it up I, earlier, and it was sort of like someone who sings uh, sentimental songs. So, oh, you know. The, oh, okay. But you see, it's, I mean, you know, look look at all the stuff that Sinatra did that was, and Darren, that was, you know, swing and, and jazzy and, and all that. So that's, is that crooning too? Um, you know, I definitely do some of the sentimental, you know, songs as well. I, I have a couple of beautiful ballads on there, but um, but I but I I pride myself in being able to swing with a big band, you know, and 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 swing or you know even sometimes it's seven pieces, but it still has that feel, you know, the jazz and and sometimes a little blues and um, I, my my style tends to lean in that direction. Now, you said earlier you were at Lehigh, which I know where it is. You know, I have friends who went there. And you, what were you going to major in? What was, what was your plan in college that you ended up, that led you to taking t the senior year off to go to L.A.? How did that happen? Um, yeah, well, when I first, you know, I, I've been, as I mentioned earlier, I've been sort of pursuing uh, all of this, you know, acting and singing since I was about 13 and, then I started after that summer when I did um, the the singing in the Catskills. I, I I started getting work in acting, doing a lot of commercials in New York and and all that. And then um, so my parents knew that uh, you know they they were supportive, but but to to a point. But they wanted as long as all this didn't interfere with going up. You know all my high school studies and then make and wanting me to go to college and having something you know solid as a base uh, because knowing the the precarious nature of show business and uh, which is smart so so it was like okay you know uh, we know how much you love doing this but you know you need to go to college and 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 so it was like okay well if I was going to use that as as something as a backup I would. I didn't go to college to major in theater. You know, I mean, it was it was going to be something, um, uh, you know, something completely more conventional and, and not in the artistic uh, vein. So, so I entered Lehigh as an engineering major because, uh, you know, um, I was really always good in school and math and science, and my grandfather was an engineer, and and two of my uncles were engineers, and. Um, my cousin was in, was doing at school for that, so that's how I uh, that's how I entered Lehigh, but um, which was known as a good engineering school. But um, after the first six months, um, you know, and I knew my heart wasn't really in that. My I was still I was start I was still going into I was commuting into Manhattan for auditions and and then and joining the theater club there and doing and doing stuff. So I knew it was going to be after six months it was going to be tough to get through engineering um when you know my focus was still pretty split so i i switched i switched majors and moved into the business school and um and that's what i was majoring in and then um what happened was i knew that uh you know around my junior year i knew that i might want to go out to la after i graduated because there was a lot more work at that time. There were, there were not movie, very many movies being shot in New York or TV shows back then. And 
and uh, there was theater, but um, there wasn't, you know, TV and film, and and I, I knew that I might want to try my, my luck out in L.A., so I decided to go out there uh, for the summer uh, after my junior year to, to get some contacts and make, you know, get some inroads so that after I graduated that I could come back out there. So that was why I decided to go out there for the summer after my junior year. And I registered uh, for summer school at UCLA, so I had a place to stay and, and a base and got to meet people. And it was, it was a great way to get sort of uh, oriented out there. And, um, but then, you know, I, I landed a couple of, I, I had gotten an agent, I was able to get an agent because of some of my work in New York. And, um, and I, they sent me out on auditions and I landed a couple of them pretty quickly. So that's why things sort of changed. <laughs> now, now for Happy Days, because I had read something that Ralph Math was originally going to be a jock. I don't know if that's right. But for Happy Days, did what, what? Did you go in for the role of Ralph, or how did that audition happen? And and you know, did you get called back, or what happened with your audition for Happy Days? Because you said you were getting some work, but this was for was it for that role of Ralph as a regular on a series? What well, what happened was uh, they my agent you know called and said that uh, they have an audition for me for a pilot for a new a new show about the fifties, and um, so I initially. I uh, just went in and, and met with uh, two of the exec producers, Tom Miller and Ed Milkus. And and um, they just, you know, we just really talked. Um, and then they called me, then they called me in for, uh, to do a reading, an audition for the role of Potsy. Um, and it was, you know, Gary Marshall and, and like about 10 other people in the room. So um, I, I, I did the scene uh, for auditioning for Potsy. And then... They called and said they wanted uh, to that they wanted to screen test me, and and I was one of you know there were a bunch of people that were they were testing Am among them was Ron Howard and Anson Williams who who had already done Happy Days a year and a half earlier, um, and it didn't sell. There was an earlier pilot, um, and then it didn't sell. But then now it's a year and a half to almost two years later, and in the meantime, American Graffiti had come out. And became a huge hit, and Greece was on Broadway. And then I think the executives at ABC said, "Well, wait a minute, didn't we have a show about the '50s? Maybe we should do that." And but they said to Gary, "You know, I think you need to make a new pilot." And they were concerned that Ron and Anson would be too old now, because it was two years later for them to be playing high school. And Gary thought they they would still be fine, but uh, he had to go through this whole rigmarole of of screen testing other people, and he had to screen test Ron and Anson, you know, who had done the part already. <laughs> so it was, I found some of this out later, but I was one of the other hopefuls that went in and, and I was testing for uh, Potsy. So then um, my agent, I remember he called me on a, on a Friday and said, okay, so you didn't get the part, but they liked your screen test so much uh, that they want to, put you in the show and, and sort of create the, another role for you and, and have you be a regular. And there was a, there was a small part in the pilot of a guy named Ralph, Ralph Malf, and um, they said they'll make that, you know, they'll expand that so that he's a, a, a running character. Um, and, yeah, the description at the time was, uh, you know, he was a, it was a small part. They described him as a, a guy who was into cars 
kind of a jock and that was it you know and 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 you could tell from the dialogue he was a little bit of a wisecracking guy um so so but the ironic uh, funny thing is uh, i was up at the same time i was up for a really good um tv movie that i i loved it was it was a dramatic of uh, a, a dramatic piece which is what i was really more interested in most of the parts that i got when i first got out there were dramatic parts and that's what i was more interested in i did a police story where i played this psycho mad bomber and then i did emergency where i i, I got into a, a character my character became a paraplegic you know so so i was um and this other tv movie was a beautiful um uh, period piece world war ii uh family in connecticut during world war ii and and um great uh, writer a guy who wrote the movie the summer of 42 which was a favorite of mine back then and and the director was a guy who directed the original brian song which was a great uh tv movie so i was like wow i and i had a great audition for that and they told my agent that i had a really good chance of getting the part but um, they were waiting to see if Jack Warden was going to accept the role of the uncle. And they thought I looked like a young Jack Warden. And, and if Jack was going to play the part, I was a shoe in to get the role. They said, even if Jack doesn't take it, he's got a good chance. But we don't know uh, for sure. So now I get the offer on a Friday for Happy Days. And, and uh, my agent and I talked it over. And we, we both agreed, let's, let's hold out for the TV movie. So we passed. I passed on Happy Days on that Friday night. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, and then um, as as fate would have it, um, my agent played basketball every Saturday at Gary Marshall's house. So um, at uh, during a break in the game, Gary took my agent aside and said, "Hey, what's going on with your boy? You know, turning us down and you know, blah blah blah." And 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 he can, he told my agent, he goes, "I think this is really." got a chance of being a mid-season replacement. It's looking really good. And he offered me a better deal than they originally offered. And my agent called me on Monday and said, you know, I think we should, maybe we should reconsider and, and take this. And I said, well, what about the TV movie? You know, and he said, well, you know, you might get that. You got a good chance, but who knows? You know, you never know what's going to happen. And this, they have to know by uh, like the end of the day today. And uh, if, you, if you pass on it, and you could wind up with nothing, you know. So um, it was it was crazy. It was crazy. But then I, you know, I just and I had a couple of actor friends over the weekend saying, "What are you crazy turning down <laughs> the pilot?" You know. And so then I thought, well, maybe uh, I should listen, you know. So uh, so we decided to take it, and that's how that happened. But uh, yeah, Ralph at the time, they you know, it was just this small character that was originally supposed to be you know he was in a car club and a jock now tv was so different back then now you know pilot season there's millions of pilots when you went on the first day of set and you know you went to the to the you know shooting did you did you think i mean as a young actor and no one ever knows what's going to happen in hollywood but did you think that this show did you just feel a certain energy 
that and synergy that you thought that this show would become an iconic TV show. I mean, you're young, you're on a, which is funny is you're on a break from college. That's the best part. You're like, I'm taking right. some time off. Whatever happens, I'll go back and get my degree. Right. But you're doing that. But what was your feeling when you first walk on the set? And, you know, as you said, you had played the dramatic roles, but now you're going into a comedy and you're a, a series regular, not a guest star. Yeah. Um, well, I, I did feel, it's funny because uh, very, very quickly, uh, first, second day of shooting, you know, I'm I'm introduced to the cast, and then I, you know, I'm hanging around watching. Even when I'm not in scenes, uh, I wanted to watch, you know, and be be around and be part of it. And here I'm in a cast where I meet Ron Howard, who's like already kind of a legend um, from being, being in the business since he was three and a half. And um, and and then I see, you know, Tom Bosley, who would won a Tony uh, on Broadway for playing Fiorello. And um, and then I meet Henry, and and Henry was really interesting. I could see right away, you know. I was like, whoa, this guy's, this guy's bringing something here, uh, that's really really exciting. And and then Marion, and and then Anson, and you know, and and then I'm like, I'm watching all this, and I, and I'm, I'm starting to feel. I was feeling something, you know, and but at the time. It's hard to know. Like, I remember calling my parents back in Brooklyn, and, and I said, you know, I'm feeling really good about this. I I think there's something, I think this is going to go. You know, I, I really think this is going to, could be something. Now, did I think it was going to be, you know, some iconic show? No, I had no, I, I wasn't thinking in those terms. But I was thinking, I did have a what I thought was a really good feeling about the synergy, as you said, and the chemistry and, and the talent. And and something that 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 it factor and and um, but you know was it at the time was it just wishful thinking or was it real instinct you know I, I like to think my instincts were right because that's how I felt you know um, I really thought that there was something something pretty special there. Now you said it was really was going to be a mid season replacement. Yeah, and that's what it was. It, that's what it did become. Okay, so you sit there and you go into that, and so you don't know what's going to happen because if it's a replacement, you don't know if it's going to come back the next year. When did you find out that it was coming back the next year? And then I guess then that you know you were in for, was it 26 episodes back then? I'm not even sure. Yeah, it was like uh, 24 episodes, I think. Uh, well, as a mid-season replacement, it's it's not like a summer replacement where, well, it's a tryout and they'll see. A mid-season replacement is like, you know, uh, for some of the, when they cancel some shows fairly early, they need to replace it. So, so I mean, it was like a regular. We were on the air, and and um, if we did well, you know, we'd continue. And the first year, the first season, we we were sort of a you know like a a, a minor hit. You know, I mean, we weren't huge, but we we were successful. You know, I mean, it was enough of a hit that. Uh, that it was generating some excitement and and we knew that we'd go another season you know at least now what happened was in the second season the ratings actually started falling down um in the second season and um all the big hit comedies back then were three camera uh, shows in front of a live audience we were not in the first two years we were a one camera show shot like a movie no audience and and but the shows like All in the Family were hot with three camera and 
Maude and Good Times. So, so when the, the ratings were starting to fall down, there was a question whether we were going to get picked up for the third season. But uh, then our, our incredible director, Jerry Paris, I remember him, he started pushing for make, turning us into a three-camera show. He, he thought we had a perfect cast for that. And um, a lot of people thought, well, that's going to ruin the feel of the 50s because you won't have the, the drive-in anymore with all the cars and, you know, the waitresses and, and, and you know, and where you could really get the feeling of the 50s and sort of graffiti-ish. Um, and, and you'd lose that. But, uh, but Jerry thought, you know, that this was what we needed. And, and he pushed for that. And, and, and then they also decided, because Henry's character had, the Fonz had become so popular, they decided to move him into much more of the four. And, um, and then a combination of those things that we did the third season, and then it started just really picking up. And then like, I don't know, midway through that season, we shot to number one. And that's when we became the really big hit. Now, what was it like you for an actor to go from the shooting like a movie where there is, you know, you have, if you make an error, it can be reshot, stuff like that. What was it like for the you and the rest of the cast to all of a sudden sit there and going in front of a live audience? Because I know it's that great energy of being live. But as an actor, your timing probably gets, your timing gets thrown off because you have to wait for the laugh. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, a lot of us had had theater experience, so that's why Jerry, I think, knew that we'd be a good, good uh, cast for it. Um, Henry had a lot of theater training and done theater. Um, my most of, when I was going to acting classes, it was it was sort of theater oriented, and we I had done some, you know, and I had done a bunch of plays and theater in college, um, and of course. You know, Tom being from Broadway and Marion had done theater. The, the one that the person that was the most uptight, the, the, the first show, he was it's, ironically it was Ron, because Ron, is, even though he'd been in the business all those years, had never done any theater. So so he was really he was really nervous um, more than anybody. Um, but then he, he came through like gangbusters that night. Um, and then, yes, I mean, we, we did have to. It was a little bit of a period of adjustment of, of having to wait for the for the laughs, but it didn't. It, it was not tough for for you know everyone to adjust to that. It was pretty. It went very smoothly. Now you go to number one, and back then number one is just so many more people are watching now than a number one show because everybody. I mean everybody watched Happy Days. I mean it was just you know you go back to school you talk about it. Hey, you see Happy Days. You see that. How did your life start changing? Like, were you starting to get recognized a lot more? And how do you, and you were a very young age, and you basically, this was one of your first gigs. I mean, you had done some, you know, when you got to Hollywood, you had done some guest stars, which were, you know, dramas. But now you're in the, the everyone knows who you are. What is that like? I mean, did your life start changing? Oh, yeah, big time. Um, you know, it's sometimes I, refer to it as like being thrust into the twilight zone because, you know, it's, it's a different reality. Um, you know, at the beginning is, and this especially happened, you know, in the, in the third and fourth season when it became so huge, but, uh, you know, at the beginning it was, of course it was exciting, uh, you know, I'm 20 years old, 2021 20, when, and, and, you know, all of a sudden now 
people are recognizing you and and you're working on it you know you're working on a show as a regular and uh, so um, you know professionally it's very exciting but but yes going around and in, in in the public eye and then and being recognized it, it's it was a lot of fun at the beginning but then what happens is you know it just it's now 24 7 and it's not just for you know a week or two weeks or a month or two months or three months you know now the years it's go, getting into where it's all the time and and you know you're not you're not really uh prepared you you don't have training for that in acting class you know <laughs> they don't train you how to deal with that sort of thing and i guess you need a psychiatrist for that because because it is it's such a it's such a paradigm shift in your life that you're going from you're being just a you know sort of a anonymous or whatever and then to where especially like i said later on where everywhere you go you can't go anywhere without being recognized and it changes your, your 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 like i said your reality is now different and um it was tricky it's a it's a to navigate that and as a, when you're young uh, luckily you know i it wasn't like i was 13 14 15 years old when this happened i had already i was more of a young adult you know i mean i'd been through normal childhood in brooklyn and, and high school public high school and then college and you know and and so i had and a great family so so um you know i had a good foundation to deal with it but it's still tricky and and it could be very seductive and all that and you know you can get pulled in wrong directions but um so there were you know there were some tricky times getting through that and adjusting but uh uh thank god I, you know we I, I think the fact that we had each other we had such a good group of people that we uh that we we all respected each other so much and and grew to love each other and and we had great mentors like jerry paris and gary marshall to, to help keep us grounded and and tom bosley and ron howard who's set an example you know so so um luckily there were a lot of uh uh, like I said, grounding forces that play there for us. Now, when you said, you know, you guys went to number one, and now, you know, that's everyone's goal was to go to number one, but it's like anything in sports, you know, when you're number one, it's hard to sustain that. Now, how long did you guys stay for number one, and did you feel a pressure to stay at number one, not, let's say, from the network, because you were a hit, but from, you know, like Gary's, the crea you know, creator, and, you know, did you feel pressure that he wanted to stay at number one? I mean, did it start changing the set at all? Or when you're number one, does it change the set? Hmm, I have to, it's hard for me to recall that kind of specific um, dynamic. Um, I, I mean, I have a sense that once we got up there and we were firing on all cylinders, um, you know, the beginning it was just, it was just a great creative high and um and it was you know we were all excited and 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 i didn't feel remember feeling a sense of pressure um maybe i think you know maybe after maybe getting into the fifth season um you know where i felt like okay it, i started to see some of the scripts i don't know just not being it, it's hard to sustain you know it's more hard, it's more of a factor of trying to sustain the quality um of of 
you know, because you've been doing it for all those years and to keep it fresh and without it getting a little repetitive or stale, uh, that's the challenge. And, uh, and then I guess maybe around that time, you'd st we started feeling the pressure. I felt it more in that, okay, the, it feels like the quality isn't quite, you know, there'd be some great shows still, great episodes, but then there'd be some where I'd feel, oh, this isn't as, doesn't seem to be as good as, you know, as uh, what we've been doing. And, and then that kind of continued in the sixth season. And, um, and, and, you know, and then I left the show after the seventh season when my contract was up. Ron Howard and I left after the seventh season. And, um, you know, I definitely felt like the, the, the direction the show was going was, it was, it was not as, it wasn't uh, sort of evolving and growing anymore. It was sort of just repeating things and getting a little cliche, you know. Now, when you said you left, did you, you decided not to resign and Ron decided not to resign? Did you, did you want to adventure other pastures because you said you felt it was getting not as fresh for you? And it's right. I mean, how far could your characters go? You know, you guys were, you know, I mean, we're, you know, it's like anything. It started off you guys were in high school. I mean, what was one of the reasons why you left? Um, yeah, there were several. I mean, the, 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 the fact that I'd been doing this character for seven years and, and it wasn't, uh, you know, it was feeling like it was just repeating. Um, so on a creative level, it, 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 was, it was not uh, stimulating. And, it, and I felt, uh, you know, it was, uh, what's the word? It was very limiting. And also, you know, I was very aware of how much I was being associated with the show and with uh, this character and this kind of comedy and that's not it was like one one facet of who I am as an actor like we talked about uh, I was I was not even doing comedy initially so and, and I knew it was getting hard I, I was finding it hard for my, my agent was finding hard to get me you know meetings for parts that before I you know like a part that I landed in the past, I couldn't even get auditions for those roles because they think of me for, as a comedian, um, as this guy, Ralph. So, so I was very sort of uh, cognizant of that. And, and I was worried about that me getting in deeper and deeper. So that was another reason. And, um, you know, so though, I, I guess those were the big reasons, uh, you know, just on a creative level feeling it was stagnating and then, uh, wanting to, to feeling like I needed to move on. Now, when you were on set, you know, because all you guys did have theater background and stuff like that, when the scripts came out, did you guys have any, because a lot of shows improvise now, was it all straight by word or did they, did they give you a little radius where you could improvise a little bit and be your, add some of you to, let's say, the Ralph character? Oh, yeah. Um, well, Jer Jerry... Um, being a comedic, I think genius. Um, Jerry loved um, to to bring things that you know something that might not even be in the script. And you see, initially when we were one camera, um, you know, I, I remember I used to I, I would come up with ideas that that I'd have for for a, a scene that might not be in the script, and I, I would show it to Jerry, and and he. And he would get excited, and it might stimulate him, and then he'd come up with stuff. So we used to do stuff like that. Um, and then the writers would see what we did and like it, and then they would give them ideas. So it was it was a good organic kind of process. Now, when we were doing it in front of an audience, um, we would have a week 
to rehearse the show. So during that week, we would come up with Jerry and, and the actors. Sometimes we'd come up with things, improvise, you know, ideas that were not in the script. But then we would be showing them and we, we'd have run-throughs for the writers and the producers and, and we'd show it to them. And, and, and the stuff that worked, we'd keep. And if something didn't quite work, or they might rewrite it. And so by the time we shot the show in front of an audience, we were, stick, we were pretty much sticking to what we had um, rehearsed. But there was room during that week for improvisation. Now, I'm guessing, uh, you know, when the show was going, um, after the show, because, you know, you were sort of the wise guy, comedic character, did people constantly come up and try to tell you jokes or want you to tell jokes? I mean, what is that like when you sort of play a wise guy? You know, because unfortunately, a lot of people can't, don't understand that, you know, the, the person on the TV is different than the person <laughs> off TV. Right. And, you know, you, right. I'm sure you're the, I mean, that must have driven you up the wall. I mean, it's great to get the attention, but did you get a lot of people coming up going, hey, did you hear this one or duty, duty, or any of that <laughs> stuff? I mean, it must have driven you up the wall. Um, I, I definitely got people who, I, you know, I think expected me to be a jokester in person and, and wanted me to, you know, tell them some jokes or, or whatever. And, um, there were times that maybe I, I probably got a little uh, frustrated and tired with that. But for the most part, um, people were really pretty cool. I, they, you know, they were, um, I, there were, there were times where I felt like, oh, they're probably going to be disappointed because I'm not like the character, you know? And I was like feeling this sense of almost having to, to give them what they want a little bit at times. Um, and I was torn between that because it's, you know, it's, I knew that when they, met me and saw me as I really am they you know I was thinking are they going to be disappointed or or what you know so I did go through that sort of a you know, schizo kind of uh, you know it, it could get your, your brain working in in, in uh, funny ways but uh, people for the most part were pretty cool and, and they didn't uh, they weren't you know being jerks about it now, I know you're also on some episodes of The Love Boat, which is funny because I was sitting at home one Sunday. I said, we just moved back. And my girlfriend watches different stuff than me. So I'm in the bedroom and I'm flipping around the TV and The Love Boat comes on. And it's on, I guess, it's this local, I don't know if it's a local station. It's like right underneath the CBS here on our cable. Uh -huh. But what was it like shooting a love boat? And were you actually on a boat or was it on a studio or wh where did they shoot that? Um, well, uh, the, ver the first two episodes i wound up doing like i think four episodes um the first one the first two i did was actually on on a cruise um you see they they did the majority of those shows in a studio but they would like a couple of times a year go out on a real cruise and do like a, a two hour like a two-parter um and so the first two that i did were, were, were those types of uh, uh episodes First one was uh, a cruise up to Alaska, which was incredible. I loved it. And um, the second one was through the Panama Canal, which was also amazing. So I got uh, the, you know, I got the good fortune of uh, getting to do two of those cruises. Then I did uh, one or two other episodes where it was just in the studio. Now, yeah, that must have been a great gig because you probably your work schedule probably wasn't nearly as much as it was on Happy Days because you're, there's so many different storylines going on. It must have been right. sort of a relief made Adam on the cruise and instead of a trailer, I have a cabin. Right, and then and then when you'd be at different ports, if I, you know, if I wasn't working, I'd go out and 
and tour, you know, tour, tour different places and where, whatever area we were in. So, yeah, it was that was great. I I had a wonderful time doing that. Now you were acting for years, and then you parlayed into directing. What led you into parlaying for directing? Was it because you had worked with such, with Jerry, and you know you worked with someone so great? And as you said in the, in the early days, you know, of Happy Days, you would sit on the set and you you know pretty much observe. And you know, I think a lot of people I know have. That's why they've gotten into directing because they observed it and they felt they knew they had the eye for it and they felt they knew how they had to work with the actors. What made you decide to get into directing and how did you go about getting that first gig? I mean, it was a movie called what, the, the Last Best Sunday. That is correct. Yes. Um, well, I I knew, you know, yes, working with Jerry, um, working and Gary Marshall, um, the first movie I direct uh, the first movie I acted in as a independent film for Roger Corman's company uh, it was my first acting partner film it's called Crazy Mama and it was directed by Jonathan Demi who wound up uh, who passed away in April uh, great director directed Silence of the Lambs Philadelphia and and on and on I mean an incredible great great director so this was my first film and I and I worked very closely with Jonathan on that you know we it was a road movie, and we were together a lot, and I had Cloris Leachman who was starring in it. So, um, you know, working, and, and I observed on at Paramount, I'd go and watch um, other when films were shooting sometimes. So, and then I had also the great opportunity of Ron Howard coming to me, oh, in the third season, saying, you know, he, he says, I want to make an experimental film so I could show people, because he wanted to direct uh you know for a while and 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 he wanted a calling card to show people so he said i have an idea for i have a story idea do you want to develop it with me and and what i he said i'd love for you to play the lead and i'm going to direct it we'll do shoot it on weekends you know in 16 millimeter and and um and i said yeah you know i'm in so so i worked with ron on this project developing the story and then him directing me we got about halfway through uh, um, and then he got a job to direct, but but so you know I, those experiences were you know invaluable, and certainly uh, inspiration for me to and I so I knew that I'd want to direct at some point, um, and then I guess it was in the early '90s where I I had been doing some theater, and then um, I met somebody who had a ran a theater in L.A. Uh, one of the small equity waiver theaters and. And I mentioned to them that, you know, I'm interested in maybe directing because uh, I thought it would be good to try it out first, um, you know, in, in that vein, in a, you know, a small theater and where it's not like crazy pressure and all that. And and so it worked out and I got to direct a, a play at that theater and I had a great experience and it went really well. And then I, I did several. I did a bunch more. And then I started looking for material that I could, you know, adapt or, or you know, uh, find a way to get get it set up to do a, as a film. And, and I was lucky I met somebody who introduced me to a writer and I loved a couple of her scripts. And um, one of them was very suitable for a, a lower budget type of a project. So um, I optioned the script and, and then I, I met a producer, a guy named Michael Murphy, who had produced a bunch. Um, a bunch of movies and and he liked working with first-time directors and and we became friends and um, so we started talking about it and then we were able to raise some money privately 
to um to to do the film and uh and that was the last best sunday it was a pretty and a very dramatic film um but a great great experience and um and it, it turned out really well you know uh, did, did well in festivals, won some awards, and then uh, we got it sold, you know, for, got distribution on it. And um, so it was, it was, that was a great, great experience. And um, it led to me doing a few years later, my second film called Moolah, um, which, which had a great cast. Um, it had uh, uh, people like uh, William Maypother and Daniel Baldwin and, and, and Charlotte Ross and uh, Curtis, uh, oh God! I'm Curtis, Curtis Armstrong and Doug Hutchinson. But and and the real cool thing about that was um, Ephraim Ramirez. And um, there was a young girl that uh, had uh, I had to cast the daughter of the lead. And um, there was a girl I cast. Uh, she was 13, and uh, it was her first film. She had done some TV, but it was her first film I gave her. And uh, her name Shailene Woodley. Who has gone on to become huge now, and so I'm really proud to be sort of part of that career of hers, and uh, to see what she's done. So, um, and that was a really another great experience, just wonderful. And um, then I directed a family film a few years later. Uh, a friend asked me to direct this film for her company, and um, and now I have like three film projects that I'm uh, actively trying to get going so uh, so I can do that again. Now, what is it like going from acting to directing for the fact that just the workload? I mean, you know, as an actor, you have your, your, your time down, your time up, but the director, you're always thinking, you're always on the go. You know, it's it's probably for 24-7. Did you enjoy that? It's somewhat, and that is somewhat of a pressure because, you know, it's it's your, you're helming the, the whole production. Did yeah. you, did you felt you transitioned to that very easily and maybe because you did it later in your life than when you were really young? Yeah, I mean, it was good that I did it when I did because I'd had, uh, you know, a, a good amount of uh, experiences to draw on. And a lot of people said to me, you're going to find out that you know a lot more than you think you do. We're just, you know, I mean, it's going to come to you instinctively because of doing it so much in front of the camera and working with all these people. So, um, and it was true. You know, I mean, I, I, as much as I was excited about doing that first one, I was scared, you know, because because it's a whole other thing, like you said. I mean, you're, it's you're, it's not like you do your thing and as an actor and then you're done. I mean, it's everything from the beginning, you know, for months before you even start shooting, all the way and then through shooting and dealing with every aspect of it. You know, not only the actors but the set design and the wardrobe and the and the and the camera, the lighting, and um, and everything in between. And, and of course the actors. So, uh, uh, you know, a million decisions constantly being made. So, so it is, a, it was a whole other, whole other animal completely. But, but, um, I, I really enjoyed it. You know, I mean, it is, it is, I felt definitely more pressure on that than in, in anything else I had done. Uh, definitely more pressure. Um, so you got, you got to be, I'm at the point, you know, I'm feeling like, oh, I'm, I can only do projects or try to get projects done that I'm absolutely passionate about because otherwise it's just too hard, <laughs> you know. Have you have you thought about directing a video for your musical, for your music career? Uh, you know, I have, um, the, the subject of a video has come up. Um, I don't know that 
I would want to direct that. I'm not sure. Um, possibly, I, I, maybe if I was working with somebody else conceptually, but, but you know, I don't know that world as well. You know, um, I'm not as familiar with the style, and um, so maybe I would do as if I was working with somebody else um, where we could collaborate. But, uh, but I think I would need to do it in that fashion. All right. Well, now we have to go soon. But the people that you meet that have come to your shows, do they come, a lot of them, because you they knew you as Ralph Mouth, and then they come, and once they come, you you, you hook them, and they come back and more? I mean, what's, what, what's, what's the normal first crowd? I'm sure the second and third crowd are people that really dig your act. But the first crowd, is it people, you, you know, these days, is it people that know of you from TV, so they come out? Or is it people that just have heard your music, and then they dig it? You know, I think it's a combination. Um, you know, it is, it's tricky because um, they, people who know me from Happy Days, you know, they, they don't have a clue um, about, well, maybe a little clue because I did sing a couple of times. But for the most part, they don't know what I do in this vein. And they probably like, uh, well, what, what is he going to do? Is he doing stand-up, you know, or, or he's singing, you know, and, and then the... So in some ways, it almost doesn't help. It can almost work against you. But but then there are people who who maybe you know just curious enough and or such fans of the show that they're, that they're willing to that they want to come and see me. And so that there is that. Uh, and then but luckily there and and then of course in, in like in L.A. and in New York, a lot of times it's it's people who know me, friends, family as well. But but what's starting to happen more and more, which I'm hoping I'm very happy about, and hoping continues, is that people are becoming a little bit more aware, um, based on I guess the shows I've done, some of the press I've received, other interviews I've done, um, some of the videos that I have out on like YouTube and 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 um, you know and and other like shows like this that I'm doing of yours, so that it's starting starting to get out there more so that people have an awareness of it. So that's what I'm hoping will, and my CD. So I'm hoping that continues, you know. Um, I, yeah, I have a show coming up in New York City on September 9th at a room I haven't played yet, the Metropolitan Room, um, which is a, a big room for, you know, jazz, cabaret kind of stuff. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, it's a Saturday night, September 9th. So hopefully uh, people hear this and will come. And um, and check it out. And as well here in L.A. on September 22nd, at Vit I'm back at Vitello's where it started. And so that's uh, September 22nd. And people could check out my Facebook page, Don Most, or my um, that's or my web page at DonnyMost.com, and uh, they'll be able to find out about show you know my schedule and stuff. Now, and where can they buy the CD? The CD is on, you know, they can download it on uh, iTunes or, or get it on the CD on Amazon. Those would be the two easiest places. I think it's in other platforms as well, but uh, Amazon and iTunes are the easiest, I'd say. And, um, yeah, and I've got other shows coming up. I might be doing a, I might even be going to Italy to do a tour. And with, there's some talk with people about that and some other overseas tours. Uh, and I'm hoping to... Uh, just do more and more around around the states, and do another CD, and uh, and but also the acting. I'm I'm very motivated now to to do uh, to do a lot more. Um, you know, I feel like 
it's been tough. It was tough breaking away from the show. And I've managed to do other things. You know, I had recurring role on Glee, and I've done guest starring roles in all kinds of shows and theater. I'm going to be doing The Sunshine Boys with Robert Wool coming up in, at a theater in Pinehurst, North Carolina in October. So, um, yeah, th that'll be that'll be great. So I, I want to do a lot more on the acting front. Uh, I feel like I haven't uh, I've only touched the tip of the iceberg so far. That's awesome. man. I want to thank you for taking the time to uh, talk to me today. So people go to DonnieMost.com. Go to his IMDb page. Go through his projects. Go see his movies. You know, you can you can find those things online. You can take care of that. So anyway, so people check out DonnieMost.com. Go to my website, CooperTalk.net. I have over 635 episodes up there. You can email me, Cooper, at CooperTalk.net. Follow me on Twitter, at CooperTalk. And I'm Steve Cooper for Cooper Talk, presented by Walk My Mind. Bring your body, bring your mind. This is Walk My Mind. You guys have a great day.